Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets podcast. My name is Graham Davis. I'm the digital editor uh, at Investors Chronicle. I'm standing in this week for our editor, John Human, who's off um, uh, sloshing around the Lake District somewhere in the rain, probably. Uh, he's on holiday this week. This week, I'm joined by uh, our company's editor, Stephen Wilmot. How are you, Stephen? Very good, Graham. And our news editor, Bradley Gerrard. How are you? I'm great as well, thank you. Good. And over there in the control room this week, which seems to change us every week at the moment, Theron Mohammed. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Graham. Excellent. Right. Well, it's been a busy week, partly because uh, Monday was a bank holiday, so we came in uh, and uh, uh, had to get a magazine out in two days, uh, which is always a bit of a feat. And also, we've still got this results, uh, the results hangover from, from, from the rush at the end of August, and that has sort of been... Uh, rolling on and will roll on through most of September, as I'm sure Stephen will, will tell us more about in a few moments' time. First of all, though, Bradley, news. It's been another turbulent week on the markets. What's, what's, what's been going on? Yeah, it has. It's been busy again. Um, China kind of been front and centre of things. Mm. Um, the, the front of the FT this morning is pretty interesting with um, foreign investors, I suppose, getting pretty freaked out by the um, allegations, I guess is best to <laughs> call it, of um, people being... You know, questioned arrested worse mm. in china for potentially manipulating markets in the eyes of the authorities there yeah. um so that's that's worrying people and the chinese markets continue to it doesn't feel slide. entirely comfortable to us to us from the outside at least and i'm sure no, for, those, for those being det- detained it's not co- very comfortable either uh, indeed and um i think yeah that that is a key worry for people it you know the chinese market is still still falling um everyone else has kind of had a bit of a reality check and um you know we're not sort of in the period we were a couple of weeks ago when it was a a massive red across Mm. all indexes there's a bit more sort of sensibility out there now but um yeah not plain sailing i noticed that china's uh, on a on a public holiday today though so it seems a lot calmer (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure that's the only reason why it would be calm at the moment. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, I, I guess, I mean, last last week we talked about this and we expected that with the sort of end of the summer holidays, the A-team, as it were, coming back into the offices, we, we may yeah. get a, a bit more uh, rational behaviour in, in in the Western markets, at least. Yeah, and it seems that's been happening um Again, and also there's some good data which we kind of cover mm. in a seven days spread um, for the US. Um, auto sales there, well, largely derived from data from two of their biggest companies, um, was was strong in spite in August in spite of the uh, turbulence in markets. And yeah. um, also the US has continued to create a, a strong amount of jobs as well, which um, I kind of suggest there could, you know, it's a point in the camp for let's raise rates mm. kind of thing. Obviously, the Fed, which meets in the middle of this month, this month yeah. um, might well find reasons to not raise rates. And uh, you know, I think the consensus is still on a September rise in the US. But who knows? I mean, that they could use plenty of things to say that now is not the right time. Mm. I mean, it, it certainly you would have thought the uh, it's not going to help volatility in emerging markets uh, at, at the very least. No, I mean, they raise rates? yeah, that, that's that's a, a potential um, effect of the US raising rates. Obviously. Um, emerging markets are struggling on a number of sort of fronts anyway at the moment already because the strong dollar doesn't help them. Um, low commodity prices don't help them. But mm. it's all very reminiscent, isn't it, of um, the mid '90s when mm. the, the Fed raised its rates, and and obviously that that's usually cited as a reason why um, there was this emerging market crisis yeah, in '97. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, people argue emerging market countries aren't quite in the same state as they were back yeah. then. But even so, 
the, the the potential problems of the US raising rates is it will just add to the the current pressures and so. coupled with the slowdown in China as well it's, yeah it's, 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 yeah, well uh, so uh, is, this is now it's, we're heading towards QT instead of QE yeah probably. I know yeah it's um, a very interesting report actually from uh, Deutsche Bank and um while on the face of it you think okay well of course quantitative easing will have to stop at some point um i don't think well i certainly have never and i'm sure there are people out there who have but i've never really considered the impact of it actually um mm. and deutsche bank suggests it could be really really significant because having large fx reserves around the world creates an effect obviously and the reverse of that also has an effect yeah. of which deutsche bank says will be um a pretty major impact on global fixed income mm. um they predict it will push yields up and therefore prices down so that's basically a a bit of a warning signal for fixed income which arguably has been flashing for a while i think even for the past couple of years i've been writing you know stories um when i was an investment advisor about you know the fears of a bond bear market and it yeah. hasn't transpired yet um maybe this deutsche paper is raising the signal for what could prompt it that just ties into my um taking stock column this say. week because um it's basically looking back at almost three centuries of of um financial history which i always like the the historical angle um but it, yeah the 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 chancellor george osborne um in july redeemed the outstanding perpetual debt which was left over from the um the victorian and, and georgian eras and i guess the thing to to bear in mind is that he could do this because long-term bond yields have got to such a low point mm. even relative to where they were at the end of the 19th century was extremely low let's not forget that there was this what was called the long depression starting in the 1870s and 1880s where commodity prices fell a lot but actually it was actually a period of uh, you know, globalization and, and um, commodity prices fell in part because um, lots of com com countries were coming into global markets as a result of the british empire partly but anyway it's just uh um, there was this very very long bull market in in bonds, um, government bonds, which started in 1815 at the Battle of Waterloo and, and continued right into the end of the the, the 19th century. And that, that's why everyone in Victorian England invested in the funds or um, gilts. Um, and then it, it did turn. And it's always puzzled me actually why property un property under underperformed in edwardian britain and it's it's not kind of what you'd think given how much edwardian property there is around um <laughs> but it is it it's it's that is that that's definitely true and um even though it was a very prosperous society and it does give you a sense of what you know the the, the peak in in the victorian era was 1897 and then after that you know rates were gradually rising this is even before the first world war usually it's assumed that it was the inflationary effect of the first world war that created the um that you know sort of basically ended the the golden era for imperial britain um but actually no it stopped, it stopped a good a little earlier and and mm. you know property underperformed for one thing um so it's just uh it's, it's an interesting and anyway yeah george osborne has been able to redeem these these old sort of um, late 19th century bonds because interest rates have got to that point again so yeah anyway there's it makes warning. sense <laughs> to do it, i suppose and yeah that's the problem as you say the the yields are at such low levels that yeah, this is the concern kind of raised in the Deutsche paper that they are so low, they've been low for a very long time, and now there is a, a real catalyst for them to potentially turn the other way. So, yeah, Just watch out for quantitative tightening there. Yeah. Mm, interesting times. Um, and you know, this is going to be an interesting uh, final quarter of the year, I think. So, looking at um, 
company specific stuff Bradley there was a couple of things I wanted to 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 ask you about and this is what one of them is very interesting the the chief executive ASOS um yeah I mean it seems to have come as a bit of a surprise yesterday um the shares did initially fall quite mm. strongly I think they they fell about six percent from memory they had recouped a bit of that by the end of the day roughly half the last time I checked I guess that's partly because the reins are being handed to the chief operating officer Nick Baton mm. who is um you know he's been at the company a very long time as well so there's a positive in that you know ASOS isn't having to go out into the market to try and you know, sort of a big golden hello to somebody yep. in the city, which is obviously a positive thing. But yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I mean, he's synonymous with this company. Well, that's Robertson, the thing, he, yeah. He, I mean, I remember this when it was a penny stock mm. back in the, the you know, the, the early, the, just after the dot-com boom and uh, when it was known as as seen on screen and you could go on it and buy, you know, the jacket seen on Keanu Reeves in the last movie sort of thing. And it's compared to that, that this isn't a major business now. Yeah, no, it's it's growing a significant amount, as you say. I mean... Um, well, in the piece we say, you know, it floated in the AIM market in 2001 at a price of 20p. Mm. It's reached a high last year of £70. I mean, it's about less than half of that now. But even so, even if you take, you know, if you bought in at 20p and you cashed out around 30 quid, I mean, you've not done too badly yeah. there. Hopefully you cashed out at 70 and then you're really laughing. Mm. But um, no, it's the end of an era for ASOS um, with such a prominent figure going. People, investors like tenure. I mean, they yeah. like people to be at businesses a long time because it provides stability um it means that the person running the company knows the business well and can navigate mm. good and bad markets so it is a it is a um the end of a chapter for asos um yeah we will we will see what happens mm. I mean, but i mean it's a grown-up business now so it should be able to handle yeah i mean it's, it's very different from when mr robertson started it so um yeah it, it's living in an era of Arguably not much direct competition, but more and more stores are obviously selling online. So mm. there's the aspect of that competition of more businesses sell online, so it has more competition. But in terms of just what ASOS does, there aren't too many comparables, um, having chatted to Harriet Russell, who's our retail correspondent. And Harriet's kept that one on a hold for now. We're sort of not, not mad on it, but... Yeah, just because of the potential change. And obviously, it'd be interesting to see if Nick Baton has any strategy changes up his sleeve mm. or do I think we just need a bit to know a bit more from from the company before we change our minds yeah okay and the, I mean, the, one of the other themes running through um well actually not, not the news section we're running into the new spotlight here which was written by Theron it, it, and, and it's a theme that doesn't want to go away at the moment the uh, M&A and, and deal making and we've had you know, further news out this morning with uh, Arga Food Service and and the the uh, battle for for to buy Arga seems to be moving on a, a notch again this morning. So um, you would think at this time of year, August time, especially when the markets have been very volatile, that deal making would just disappear. But Theron, as you point out in New Spotlight, it's not happening <laughs> this time, is it? Yeah. So even before um, the China issues and many of the uh, problems of the year. It was quite a strong year for deals, but even after all these things, these various crises took place, it hasn't really curbed the appetite for deals. So in my story, I talk about a broad range, a lot in the US mm. um, and quite a few big names in the UK as well that have made a lot of deals. And we, I mean, I, my sector, the UK technology sector, has had quite a few prominent players snapped up in the past year alone. Yeah. Innovation Group this week. Yeah, exactly. Was another one. And there's big money changing hands in the States, though. I just saw the, the Berkshire Hathaway bid. I mean, it's $32 billion, 
is it just because of cheap money or are they are they are these people casting around for growth um i think it's actually a bit of both so there's this um this strengthening u.s economy and cheap cash definitely makes it easier to do a deal and gives management confidence in the u.s to, to do one but also in sort of a, a so-so global climate everyone's looking to find growth somewhere else hmm. the berkshire hathaway deal was a bit different in a way which is interesting because it was it was uh, uh, deliberately he was looking for value i mean as you'd expect from warren buffett <laughs> um i mean a lot a lot of these deals are in quite buoyant sectors notably technology yeah um whereas he was actually looking for a, an oil and gas so he bought um precision cast parts which um I mean, it's not a company I know well, but I, I gather it's an engineer which has exposure to oil and gas markets. Right. And has been, I mean, like many in Britain, we're, you know, we know the, the British ones better. You know, we're, which has just been kicked out of the FTSE 100, um, for example. Um, you know, the, these companies have been suffering from their their exposure to the uh, the oil and gas markets, and, and he spotted a bargain. Um, so, I, I mean, I guess there's a thing about M&A. There are always different reasons for it. But I mean, the oil and gas sector, yeah. as Theron pointed out in, in his piece here, has been, has been a major hotbed of, activity but that as you say there are different reasons always and that is a sector that's bombed out and yes cases, i guess there's consolidation that there's shell and bg is obviously the, the the big headline there um um but but on the other hand there's technology where it's hardly a sign of you know consolidation in a kind of um oversupplied market it's, it's <laughs> quite the opposite it's sort of um animal spirits being at their highest end mm. yeah so on a, a similar note to the buffett deal there is aveva which is a software group that actually has a lot of exposure to the oil and gas sector. So in that case, it's a technology company that's been hit by oil and gas. And huh, yeah. A deal of a, a, a value opportunity has arisen for Schneider Electric. And it looks like, I mean, it's only shareholders uh, in, in the UK in, in certain situations are, are benefiting from the fact that there's competition for, for some companies, Argo being the latest one. But um, yeah, We've got two ongoing bid battles mm. which is um really interesting i mean we, we, i mean uh, these things don't come up all that often the fact that we have two two at the same time is quite interesting so argo range master is being uh fought over um by two american bidders the mm -hmm. latest was is whirlpool um came out with a middleby made a bid yeah, mid, so a month mid, or so ago yeah exactly they? middleby made a bid in july which argo immediately said it was it had agreed to i mean argo's long-suffering company mm. and so it's shareholders so Perhaps not hugely surprising that it um, uh, agreed to the, the bid, and, and so they got one of the you know announcements saying Middleby and Argo are pleased to announce they've agreed on terms of the bid, blah blah blah. Um, but yeah, it, well, the, this sort of happy um, jamboree was sort of interrupted on Tuesday by the by news that um, Whirlpool, which is a U.S. corporation, um, had made has is looking at is contemplating a, a counter bid, and then we got a a note uh, this morning from. Middleby saying a rather sort of irritated note saying, you know, we would encourage investors to question the motives <laughs> of Whirlpool. Of uh, course they would. Uh, yeah, which, uh, I mean, basic, uh, you know, basically trying to imply that, you know, there was no, that there, there, there wasn't a great chance of a, a, an offer from actually transpiring from Whirlpool, whereas if they stuck with the, the Middleby bid, then they'd have their cash in you well, know, under f four weeks or something. So, which is true, um, which is true. But I mean, but, any but, any but, any right-minded investor would sit on, sit on their hands now for a few days at least. Well, quite. I mean, if you're still an investor in Argo, it's it's not that you've wanted your money quick. <laughs> exactly, because because <laughs> the Middleby bid is now underpinning that share price, and right. anything uh, from Whirlpool or 
maybe Middleby, you know, who knows? Middleby could be forced to pay a little bit more, I suppose. But. Yeah. And the other the other situation, I mean, Bradley, you've been writing about, haven't you? Because bwin.party, sorry, it's such a silly name. Yeah. So it's always hard to <laughs> it say is, that yeah, fluently. <laughs> um, uh, has, uh, you know, is being fought over by 888 and GVC, all of which had their results on Friday, or was it Thursday, anyway? Yeah, yeah I think it was, a, it was a hazy day, whichever day it was, I'm pretty sure it was Thursday. Um, yeah, you're right, it's an interesting one, it's been going on for a while, I think um, the, if my memory serves me correctly, which hopefully it does, um, Bwin um, is recommending the 888 offer, but GVC isn't going away, um, you know, GVC is keen to it was one of those sort of ambivalent kind of announcements, wasn't it, where they yeah. said, oh, we're, we're looking at the GVC offer, but this doesn't affect our mm. yeah, pledge it, to support the 888 it offer. Felt, it felt like they were trying to sort of, <laughs> a bit of flip-flopping. They were trying to yeah. please both well, parties. It's yeah. it like sort of trying to pick your favourite child or something if one of them asks you. <laughs> you know, you've got to try and say positive things about both of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> it kind of seems, um, it seems interesting. There's obviously... Um, a desire to, to, to take B1 over by somebody. It looks like if you're a shareholder in that, talking about underpinning share prices, I mean, you know, it's likely somebody will buy B Win and mm. um you would just the, sit on it, your hands for now. Yeah, I mean the amount of consolidation in the gambling industry has been sort of frenetic recently. Mm. And I suppose this is, you know, based on nothing at all, but I mean, there is a very big company out there in the gambling industry that hasn't engaged in any M&A yet that maybe could do, and that's William Hill. So, I don't know, could we see a third party coming into this? I don't know. Mm. I've not heard anything Oof. that's the case, but yeah. just just a, a thought allowed. Yeah. yeah. Well, these I mean, these guys, especially uh, 888 GVC and, uh, and BWIN, they're, they're struggling a little under the weight of, of uh, extra taxation, aren't they, at the moment? That is hitting all gambling companies, yeah. It's the, the point of consumption tax, particularly for these three that we mm. mentioned, which is the online based tax yeah it's hitting everyone and different people are weathering it with different uh, with a different ability like paddy power is absolutely mm. fine you know it, yes it does have a, a retail presence but it also is quite well um you know quite well established online and they're yeah. managing fine as are a lot of the other bigger players but these smaller ones it is hitting them a, a bit more and hence maybe the desire for consolidation there i think so yeah it seems to be um strength in size is and hen- hence actually also our, our I mean, if you look in this week's results section, then there are those three companies, but also Playtech, which um, is the only one we actually have on a buy, and it's probably possibly worth mentioning yeah. because um, mm. you know that they they don't they're not actually a bookmaker, but that they offer kind of uh, effectively gambling technology to a lot of these different companies. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like a geared play on the industry. Like it's, it's, it's a, a play on the industry, but it's not affected by these specific issues, which no. is, which, which is why we, we as you say, it's a yeah. technology provider, and they they work with the biggest companies. And um, I spoke to uh, more wiser. Hopefully, that's how you pronounce his name. Um, the chief executive of Playtech uh, this week, and he seemed very optimistic about the fact that even though there is consolidation and arguably thereby less companies to work with, it would create um, good opportunities for his business. So he's optimistic about the trend that's happening, and um, Playtech itself seems to be doing particularly well. Um, we've got it on a buy. Um, yeah, it's worth reading the that result and the relative um, gambling company results as well. Mm, I mean, Playtech's been, uh, you know, it, it's a serious seriously big company now isn't it it's and it's done incredibly well in in recent years but that he was saying that because i'm look reading your piece here that that they are working with Ladbrokes and coral who are merging or yep. uh, uh, planning to and betfair and paddy power yeah also merging but that's going to create more business for them so he says oh, interesting yep. 
I guess because of the maybe it might only be in the short term because of the mm. this the horrible word that the synergies that might well uh, need to be yeah. carried out as a result of two major businesses merging. But um, it seems like it makes sense that that would be the case. Whether it's for the long term, I'm I'm not entirely sure. But in the short term, well, one so. obviously you know has to judge management by their actions, not by their words. And 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 the actions might suggest that they're looking to diversify, right? Because uh, mm. they've been buying these um, financial services business mo- most controversially plus five hundred. Yes, which it got at a very good price, probably if it doesn't turn out to have been completely. <laughs> So plus 500 for those who had, didn't follow the story had a very, very turbulent period earlier in the year when it, um, after many years of extraordinary growth, had to announce to the market that it had failed in some of its money laundering compliance functions. Mm. And uh, the shares completely collapsed because they were propped up on a kind of sentiment yeah, it was a it was a it was a, it was a very hot, hot stock, stock yeah. exactly. And so when hot stock suddenly kind of announces something wrong, then a lot of the heat suddenly comes out. And anyway, I think I mean I can't remember quite what the shares did. Maybe they didn't quite halve, but they they really did collapse mm. quite yeah, dramatically. They were really close. Yeah. Uh, and um, and and at that point, Playtech suddenly pounced and announced a, a takeover. So. Yeah. You know, it was a, it was very opportunistic, but it was. Um, I mean, looking at it, there is um, the, in plus five hundred's favour, I suppose. I, I, from memory, they did initially submit a document to the FCA. I mean, one wonders, you know, whether they really did that off their own back or whether they just were suggested to that that should be the case. But they did submit a document which basically asked the FCA to, um, you know check its procedures and then lo and behold its procedures were not quite up to standard and so they have been working to rectify that now of course um and i think they've opened uh, a, a good percentage of customer accounts again mm. which were frozen at the time because they weren't allowed to let these customers deal um so yeah i mean it's but yeah you're right it's a diversification does that mean that you know the amount of life left in the growth of the gambling industry is perhaps coming to an end i don't know but um, yeah, it's an interesting diversion into sort of CFD and financial derivatives businesses. Just, just gambling, really, anyway, isn't it? A different way, I <laughs> suppose. <if you laughs> like. But it's, in, it's interesting that they've moved into client-facing, customer-facing mm. businesses there, rather than being the back-end. Yeah, true. Yeah, label. yeah, that's that's different. That will be different for them. Although I suppose with when you're buying a business, you are retaining the expertise of mm. that business. So I mean, they will be hopeful that the the staff at the companies they've bought will stay put which it is it's not suggested that won't be the case yeah. and so they'll have the expertise to help them kind of navigate that market well good luck to them we've got them on the buy so that's good um and the only other, i mean just wanted to look at one of the sort of theme running through the results here, here Stephen, and we touched upon it um earlier on a little bit there's i've got a whole double page spread here of six six results from the resources commodities sector uh, yeah. various elements of it it's pretty grim out there isn't it yes i must say um resources results do not make happy reading at the moment almost invariably you get really quite steep falls in profits as i mean if they're a miner or an oil producer then obviously the price of the product they're selling has fallen mm. very dramatically and some of them have been able to increase production but others haven't because of the usual operational issues I mean, on on the plus side, so we have Evraz and Petropavlovsk, both Russian-focused. Yeah. So it's gold and steel. Uh, yeah, gold for Petropavlovsk yeah. and steel for Evraz. And, and both of those have actually found that their falls have been quite massively cushioned by 
the, the falling cost base because right. obviously their costs are denominated in rubles, in rubles yeah. but they're selling their goods in uh, dollar denominated mm. in dollars effectively so um, you get a sort of slightly odd effect there where um, the yeah the profits aren't quite as bad as the top line yeah um, but um, you know it's still not hugely pretty and we we don't have we're, we're, we're not putting those on on buy we've got them on hold because they're very cheap you know, mm. amazingly cheap. Everaz is on the f- under five times consensus earnings. But um, yeah, but probably for a reason. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's it's certainly so. It's a bit hard to say sell, but at the same time, yes. it's sort of yeah hard to gain the confidence in these kind of commodity markets to to to, to put them on a buy. So we we've got four um, oil services companies here, and you know, and you would have thought they'd all be getting hammered, they'll all be bombed out, but we've got. Certainly, notably, Cape is on yeah. buy. Why, why is that? Yeah, well, it's it's a good question. <laughs> and, um, um, in the absence of Mark Robinson, our commodity specialist, who uh, is has just left for um, a well-earned holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the valuation looks good, but yeah, the valuation looks good. But then the valuation on most of them look mm. look pretty pretty cheap. So, um, I, I mean, I guess it's a question of working out which ones are slightly less exposed to the ravages of the capital cuts which have, yeah. you know shell and bp and all the rest of them have announced the capital spending cuts that is i mean and, and, and basically cape the reason why we have cape on, on a buy there are two reasons one it has a, a bias to maintenance revenues so obviously oil rigs still need maintaining mm. even if big spending projects are one thing maintenance maintenance yeah. projects are another um and also it has um good exposure to um to the middle east uh region and notably um, national oil companies, um, which you know tend to have a sort of longer term focus mm. than the, um, the 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 publicly owned companies in the West. Um, so OPEC has made no secret of the fact that it's sort of well it's until recently it's made <laughs> it's, it's it's been this sort of fairly unambiguous in saying that it will keep its production up. Yes, indeed. Uh, and I've um, noticed that I've noticed them just from skim reading some of these results and over recent weeks is that the, 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 that Middle East Gulf region has. Yeah, Cape. remained reasonably bright. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So Cape, we've got on a buy. Lamprol actually, which is based in Abu Dhabi, or sorry, in the UAE. I'm mm. not sure if it's in Abu Dhabi or Dubai, but the um, you know, it it yeah, it's it's doing reasonably well. I mean, we've actually only got it on a hold, um, but um, yeah, the you know, it won one of. Um, I know Mark Robinson spoke to um, the the chief executive there and and uh, learned that um, you know they won a contract with the with Abu Dhabi's national drilling company. For one of only three jack-up rigs ordered worldwide in the first six months, okay. which says, says something about the state mm. of the market. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. I know that Lamprell has had a tough time over the past year or so, though, hasn't it? I think last year it had some accounting yeah, issues. Yeah, exactly. It did. It did have some problems, which I think we had it on a buy at a certain point and yeah. downgraded it, and we've kept it there um, just because sort of there's a trust issue but actually it seems to be doing reasonably well but i mean cape on a what uh, was Mark, mark's uh, pointed out it's a six percent yield and yeah it's i mean eight, eight times forward earnings that's the other thing lamprol doesn't have a yield yeah. so um that's another reason why we've got we've got cape you know six percent yield um same with amec which we also have on a on a buy it's almost six percent yield so um yeah there's uh there's there's plenty of value mm. um it's just it's not obvious to see any reason why that would be crystallized anytime soon in these companies yeah well it's a long long-term game as we say um thanks Stephen. and i think that pretty much wraps us up for today the reason we've been talking about results and, and, and news in the main is that uh 
Our cover feature this week is the mighty Top 100 Funds put together by Moira O'Neill. And this um, is an all-encompassing um, selection of our favourite funds. Moira's uh, canvassed the opinions of 10 top uh, advisors this year to uh, give her a, a steer on, on some of the funds which, which were in our top 100 last year. So there's some changes and there's some changes the way that the, the list has been put together. Um, but it is a comprehensive and truly independent list of the top 100 funds. So um, worth worth buying the magazine for that alone as a long-term reference point. Also in the magazine this week, got uh, John Barron's uh, ever-popular Investment Trust Portfolio Roundup, Algie Hall's Stock Screen, and a sector focus on fashion. Yes, yes. fashion, yes. fashion <laughs> retailers. Well, absolutely. <laughs> and there's a video, um, actually, with a very illuminating um, discussion between Ian Smith, the Deputy Companies Editor, and Harriet Russell, who wrote the piece, um, which... Uh, is on the website. Um, well, it will be on the website we'll, we'll once on I've it. edited it this <laughs> afternoon. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. So yes, um, so £4.15, all good news agents. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. And uh, see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 